I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. We're traveling to the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1. How many of you know that we're living in uncertain times, but we have a certainty in God? We're living in uncertain times, but we have a certainty in God that he has already gone before us. He knows the ending from the beginning. He also knows our lying down. He knows our getting up. He's well acquainted with all of our griefs, all of our struggles. He knows the hairs that are on our head, even if they are few. He knows us. Philippians chapter 1. If you got it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold on. Come on now. Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read starting at verse 12, and we're going to read from the New King James Version. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, if you're watching at home or online at our work at campus, get your Bible ready as well, because God wants to speak to you too. Maybe you're watching from a hospital bed. Know that your breakthrough is coming, that our God is faithful. He still heals, and he can heal you right where you're watching. In Jesus' name. But the Apostle Paul says in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. How many of you know when you go through something that it's not just you that needs the breakthrough, but there are other people that are watching you through the trial that need the breakthrough as well? Verse verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Verse 19, I love this. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Did you hear me? For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. For those of you watching, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I'm not walking by what I see, but I'm walking by faith. This will turn out for my deliverance. It is a declaration. It is a confession of faith. It is hope. I know I will This will turn out for my deliverance. Watch this. Through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified. Somebody say magnified. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, whether by life or by death, 
whether by life or by death, he will be magnified in my life. I'm speaking to somebody. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death no longer has a hold on me anymore because to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all of your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. I want to speak to you for a few moments from the subject matter in life or death. In life or death. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for everyone that has gathered here in this place. Father, I thank you for the faith that is rising in this room. And I pray that miracles, signs, and wonders would manifest, that people's lives would be changed as your word is preached. Use me as your servant, Father. I confess before everyone here that I cannot do this without you. I need your help, and I know that you're here. So do what you want to do and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing in this place. The reason why I decided to share this scripture And why it's been on my heart is because there are people in this room and those of you that are watching that need to know that your deliverance is coming. Your deliverance is coming. You see, when Paul uses the word deliverance in verse 19 of our main text, the Greek word is translated salvation. In the New Testament, this word is used, watch this, For physical healing, rescue from danger or death, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Let me say that again. The Greek word for salvation in the New Testament is used for physical healing, rescue from danger or death, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, some of these are self-explanatory. Deliverance from physical healing. From death or, re- or, or pain or any heartache that you may go through. But when we get to the term justification, I don't want to assume that all of you in here understand what that term means. See, when Jesus decided to save you, the Bible says that you were justified the moment that you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. Do you want to know what that means? In essence, God declared you righteous. It wasn't because of anything righteous that you did because we were saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man could boast. But it was through your faith and your trust in Jesus that you were declared righteous. And watch this. You were saved from the penalty of your sin. Are you guys with me? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So when you gave your life to Jesus... God saw Jesus in you and you were declared righteous. The Holy Spirit came to take residence on the inside of you and you became a new person, a new creation in Christ. That's some good news, right? 
salvation from the penalty of sin. But we're in a process right now called sanctification. And this is salvation from the power of sin. This is where God is smoothing out the rough edges in our lives. He's making us to be more and more like Jesus. He's creating in us patience. He's bringing people into our lives to help us to grow in the area of grace. There are trials that we fall into, but he tells us to count it all joy, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. This sanctification process will continue all the way up until you die or until the rapture takes place and Jesus comes to take us home. For all of you married people in here, I am convinced that the Lord uses marriage as a sanctification tool in our lives. I'm convinced of this. My wife, we've been married for 17 years by the grace of God. Some of you have been married a whole lot longer and I'm sure we can glean a lot of wisdom from you. But this woman has seen me on my good days and on my bad days. And one thing that I've learned is there is constantly something that needs to be worked on in my life. Are you guys with me? There is a scripture in Proverbs, and I've shared this many times. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end is the way of death. I've always taken that scripture to mean never get to a place where you think you have anything figured out. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to uh, even in your singleness, at your job, in all areas of life, always be in a continual state of learning. But this sanctification process, God is working this out in your life. But guess what? This last process is glorification. And guess what this is? Salvation from the presence of sin. The Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Pastor Brandon, will I be able to notice my loved ones when I get to heaven? Can I encourage you for just a second? And I don't know why I feel led to go here, but this is for somebody. Do you guys remember when Jesus went up on the mountain and he took Peter, James, and John with him? And the Bible says that he was transfigured before them. He uh literally gave them a foretaste of his future glory and he was transfigured before them. And the Bible says all of a sudden that there were two additional people that arrived on the scene. One of those was Moses and one of those was Elijah. Now this is quite interesting because you cannot find the bones of Elijah and Moses. If you read the Old Testament, Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and he was with God from that moment forward and Moses just went up on a mountain and he was not. But the Bible says that Peter recognized them. Peter recognized them. And Peter got so excited even in his foolishness even in his, his, his zeal and his excitement, he spoke foolishly and he said, Lord, this is so amazing. Why don't we make a tabernacle for you, one for Elijah and one for Moses? Immediately, God spoke. Why did God have to speak in that moment? Because what Peter failed to realize is you were trying to put Jesus on the same playing field as Elijah and Moses, not realizing that Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets and both of these point to Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the key that I want to point out right there is he was able to recognize who Moses and Elijah was. Saints of God, for those of you that have lost a loved one, even here recently, I want you to know something. You will see your loved one again. 
And for those of you that have not made a decision to give your life to Jesus, and yet you know somebody that has died in the Lord, perhaps it was a parent or a family member, understand this. They are cheering you on because they want to see you again. Don't make that mistake of not giving your life over to the Lord, thinking that you have all this time. Every day is a day to make a decision. And that day is today to make that decision to follow the Lord. Amen. Amen. He's calling you. He's calling you. But he said that this will be your deliverance. And see, one of the things that I've understood is I was having a conversation with a group of people yesterday. And oftentimes when someone dies in the Lord, we often think to ourselves, especially if it was at the hands of a sickness, they lost the battle. But one thing I want you to understand is that's not the case. See, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you take the opportunity to glorify the Lord in life and death, the enemy does not win. Do you think that the enemy is after your car? Do you think the enemy is after your marriage? Do you think he's after your body, that he's after your job? He's after your worship. And when you make a decision to worship the Lord in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of what you are going through, you cause the enemy to be confused and to literally assemble a board meeting because what they are sending to attack you with is not working. The enemy is after your worship. And this is not out of the ordinary because this is what caused the enemy to be cast out of heaven because he was in charge of worship and because he exalted himself above God and wanted to be worshipped himself, he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels. Understand this. The devil cannot read your thoughts. You do understand that, right? The devil cannot read your thoughts. But understand this. He has spent a lot of time studying humanity. He understands our reactions. That's why he is looking to get a response by the things that he allows to come into your life. But when you maintain your integrity, when you maintain your posture of worship unto the Lord, you glorify the Lord and magnify the Lord, whether it is in life or death. Make a decision. Come hell or high water, I am trusting God. No matter what happens with this virus, no matter what happens with the Delta variant, no matter what happens with my job, with what goes on in this year, I am making a decision. Lord, I am going to worship you and glorify you no matter what. It's time for you to make that decision now. You can't wait when you're in the thick of it to make a decision. You need to make that decision now and begin reading God's word so that you have ammunition as you go through that trial. Are you with me? One such person that understood this is the Apostle Paul. I have to be honest with you and tell you, I've learned so much as a pastor from the Apostle Paul. His letters to the churches is just amazing. There's so much that we can glean from him. But it's interesting. He says in Philippians 1.6, that he that has begun a good work in you shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. There is an expected end for your life. And the devil has no hold on you because you have crossed over from death to life and he will finish what he started on the inside of you. That's some good news. But listen to this. In order to understand the confidence Paul expresses in our main text, we have to do a little bit of digging. We have to travel back to the past and discover what I like to call confidence builders. 
All of us in our lives have had confidence builders, moments in our lives that we set up as memorials so that when we go through something, we can look back and say, if God did it then, I know he can do it now. If God brought me out of that season, if God healed me from that sickness, if God took care of me when I lost my job, if God was even protecting me even when I didn't know him, I know now that I do, it's on. He's got me. He'll take care of me. He'll provide for me. How many of you know that's true? Amen. Paul experienced a lot from beatings to imprisonment. Paul had endured much suffering for the cause of Christ. These trials taught Paul to be content in all circumstances, something that he was seeking for his readers or listeners to inhabit as well or to acquire this trait of being content. See, we read this scripture all the time, uh, that we can do all things through Christ. But if you look at the context, Paul was saying that I know how to be content. I know how to get by with little and I know how to get by with much. I can do all things through Christ. God will be there for you and he will never leave you nor forsake you for those who are in Christ. And that's the good news that we have. But these trials taught Paul to be content in all circumstances. Even though he was in prison, facing an uncertain future, Aren't we living in uncertain times? Paul had an uncertain future. He was literally in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he did not know what the next moment would bring, whether he would die or whether he would live. But he made a decision. And this is what I'm asking you to do. This is what the Lord is requiring of you tonight to make a decision. Even as you watch the news, even as you see what's going on in our world, you have got to make a decision and it's got to be clear cut. But he says that he's thankful in his letter to the Philippians, a letter that expresses his abundant joy and what God was accomplishing through them. The origination of this church in Philippi You can find out about it in Acts chapter 16. While on Paul's second missionary journey, and in response to a vision from from God, Paul left Troas in the province of Asia, which is part of present-day Turkey, and he traveled to Macedonia, which is present-day Greece, to establish the first church in Europe. The church in the city of Philippi. The church that Paul established in Philippi was a mixture of races, cultures, social classes, although it was mostly poor, if you look at chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. The first converts of this church, watch this, was an upper-class woman named Lydia who was a seller of royal dyes. She was a seller of purple. It was also comprised of a middle-class Roman jailer. Most of you guys might remember that Paul was put in jail before. Did you hear what I said? Paul was put in jail before, so he had a confidence builder from that experience to be able to have confidence in this experience. So he was put in jail, and the reason why he was put in jail was because there was a woman who was demon-possessed, and this woman was becoming annoying to him and Silas as they were trying to go forth and do the Lord's work. And the Bible says that he spoke to that spirit for it to come out, and as a result of this woman's demon leaving her, she in that moment, did not bring any more profit to those who were trying to make money off of her. Isn't it amazing when you give your life to Christ, no one's, not everyone's going to be excited about your decision. 
How many of you have given your life to the Lord and maybe you've gone home or you've gone back to a familiar environment only to find out to your shock and amazement that no one supports your decision to follow Christ? But you've got to understand something. That you have an advocate, that you have a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who lives on the inside of you. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If any of you know me, come on, give it up for Jesus in this place. If any of you know me in this room, then you know that I am a huge proponent of breaking generational curses. I believe that Jesus, as Pastor Joey's been ministering, came to set us free. And part of us being set free is breaking every generational curse that exists within your family. You may be the first to give your life to Christ, but stand strong in the faith of God and watch the Lord move in your family members and watch generational curses be broken in the process. He can do it. He can do it. But this Roman jailer, they were in the prison, and most of you know, they began to worship God. It was midnight, and all of a sudden, there was an earthquake, and there was some rattling that happened, and their chains were broken off. And to make a long story short, there was a guard that was in this prison, and he was literally about to kill himself because he knew that if those prisoners were set free or they uh, were able to get out of the prison, that his life would be taken from him. So rather than waiting for that to happen, he was about to kill himself. And Paul and Silas spoke and said, we are here. And in that moment, he understood what happened. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they told him to believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And watch this. The Bible says not only did he come to know the Lord, but his whole family came to know Jesus. Powerful moment. So this was one of the converts in the church of of Philippi. Even the girl who had the demon possession and she was released of that. She was another convert. So do you see the disparity of people that were saved in this church? You have a very prominent, successful businesswoman who was saved. You have a middle-class guard who was saved. And you possibly have a lower-class woman who was demon-possessed who is now saved in this church. The gospel is for everybody. Don't discredit people just because of the way that they look or because of the behavior that they are engaged in at this moment. The gospel is for everybody. You watching online, the gospel is for you. Jesus came to heal you, to set you free, and to give you a new life in him. The gospel's for you. Are you with me? If you look at Paul's letters to the various churches in the New Testament, you will see a pattern. And I love this pattern. He made a decision, whether in life or death, to be pleasing to God and to glorify him no matter what transpired. I've said this already. Have you made that decision? No matter what comes my way, I will place my trust in God. I've I've followed you for far too long to exist in this doubt. Did you hear what I said? I have followed you for far too long to allow myself to be overtaken by doubt. This is not the time to shrink back from the word that has been deposited on the inside of you. Amen. The Bible says that God's word, when it goes out, it will not return void, but it will accomplish what he pleases and it will prosper in the thing for which he sent it. Saints of God, we have to be the ones that exude confidence in the midst of this uncertain world. We have to be the ones that will say, you know what? 
what? Just like Paul, I became all things to all men that I might win them over. It's okay if you want to do this. It's okay if you want to do that. But we have made a decision to follow the Lord. And no matter what may come, that decision is final and he is for us. And there is no one that can come against us. We've made that decision. I'm tired of the enemy robbing people of their joy. I'm tired of people feeling stressed to the point where they don't even want to get out of bed. You are too blessed to be stressed. Not to say that there aren't things that we go through in life. All of us have difficulties, but you should get to a point where you have a reservoir to draw from of word on the inside of you to get you through every trial and season that you may walk through. He has your victory. But he made a decision. I followed you for too long. I know your word will not return void. I like what the writer of Hebrews says. And when the pandemic first started, this is a scripture that I made a decision to stand on. Can I be transparent with you? When the pandemic first started, there was a moment where I was like, man, this is pretty serious. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of people dying. And I'll be honest, watching the news. But you know what I had to do? I had to go back to God's word. I had to go back to my anchor. I had to go back what I know is true. And this was the scripture that God gave me. And this is a scripture that you can stand on. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, listen to what this says. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus, he himself, likewise, shared in the same. That through death, he might destroy, somebody say destroy. That he might destroy him, the devil, who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Were. Not present tense. This is what you used to operate in. But now that you've given your life to Jesus and Jesus has defeated Satan, you are no longer bound by the fear of dying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen to this. Let me keep reading. It says, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted He is able to aid those who are being tempted. That is a word for this hour. That is a word for this hour. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no purgatory. There's no waiting place. If you were to die today as a born-again believer, you would be in the very presence of God. Your body would remain in the grave, but your spirit and soul would be in heaven. But there is coming a day, even those who have died in the Lord, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in the rapture, where God will bring back those who have slept or those who have died in Christ, and they will be reunited with their bodies, and those bodies will be transformed to be incorruptible. And they will always be with the Lord. So to live is Christ and to die is gained. Do you understand? Listen to this. The first point that I want to make as we look at our text 
In life or death, maintain your witness. In life or death, maintain your witness. As I read this scripture, I can't help but think of a mighty man of God in our church, Doug O'Dell. Some of you may not know this man, but he was a mighty warrior, a mighty man of God that battled sickness for a long time. But what's powerful to me, and Ralph, one of our members here, testified about this. In his last days, right, Ralph, you could see him barely holding his arm up to worship music and praising the Lord while he was in the hospital about to go on to glory. Now tell me this, did the enemy win? I think not. The enemy lost. And the reason why he lost is because he maintained his worship and his posture unto the Lord. Don't get it twisted. The devil is a liar. He did not win. Because he is in heaven where there is no COVID-19, there's no Delta variant, there's no allergies. Also, there's no calories in the name of Jesus. He is in heaven rejoicing. And mind you, yes, it is difficult for the family members that have been left behind. And I understand this and I don't want to make light of that. But there is a way where we can be a witness in life and in death. I'm sure Paul applied James chapter 1 verse 5. In James chapter 1 verse 5 it says, If any man lacks wisdom, let them ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. I believe that Paul, as he was looking at his situation, being in this prison with an uncertain future, that God endowed him with wisdom so that as he walked through this trial, he was able to still see God working beneath the surface. And this is where we have to get to a place in our lives. We have to get to the point when we walk through a trial that we don't immediately ask God to take the trial away. But Lord, what is it that you want me to learn through this? I believe that you are a healer. I believe that you are the great physician. I believe that you are a provider. I believe that you're able. But Lord, help me to learn what it is that you want me to learn through this. What is it that you want to teach me? And for Paul... The revelation that God gave him, there is a reason why I'm in this jail cell. The reason why I'm in this jail cell is because as I'm in this jail cell, I am being guarded by Roman soldiers. I am being guarded by men who are continually coming in and out because during that time when somebody was in prison, they were literally locked to somebody, a guard. And guess what Paul was doing as the different guards came in on different rotations? He was preaching the gospel. And see, the people on the outside, the church at Philippi, these were believers that he had raised up in the faith that he had ministered to. And they were concerned about him. And they said, Paul, we don't see how the gospel is able to go forth. But they didn't realize that we serve a big God. Even though you may not go out and, like, even though you're not able to go out and preach the gospel, we'll bring people to you so that you can share the gospel to them and infiltrate a system that was not meant to be penetrated. He had this revelation. And this is why he says, 
This was a developed skill. This wasn't something that he automatically understood. The word furtherance in verse 12 suggests a pioneer beating or cutting a path through a densely forested area. That's the connotation. Somebody going through a forest and just chopping away, trying to make a path through it. This is what Paul was doing even while he was in prison. Listen to this. This was very strategic. Paul's imprisonment was a strategic advance. Are you hearing me, Wilkin? It was a strategic advance in the kingdom of God because it was clearing the way for the gospel to penetrate the ranks of Roman military and even the royal house. These were two areas that under normal circumstances would have been closed off limits to the gospel. The palace God heard it as Paul preached in the prison along with many visitors. Who were these visitors? Some of these were Jewish leaders in Rome. Check this out. I love this. The palace guard, the praetorium guard, in other words, consisted of several thousand highly trained elite soldiers of the Roman Empire who were headquartered at Rome. Watch this. For the next two years that Paul had been under house arrest in Rome, different soldiers had taken turns guarding him, being chained to Paul. They had no choice but to hear the gospel. They had no choice. They weren't going nowhere. They had no choice but to hear the gospel. And people were getting saved. And see, when people start getting saved, it's like a domino effect. They take it back home. And this person becomes a witness. And that person becomes a witness. And even though he couldn't go out to spread the gospel... God was bringing people to him to share the gospel with them so that the gospel could continue to go forth and lives could continually be changed. What perspective do you have on the situation? See, two people can look at a situation and have different perspectives. Two people, one person can see, you know what? What the enemy meant for bad, God can turn around for good. Another person may look at this and say, man, God is punishing me. God, I've done something wrong. I've sinned. That's why this has come into my life. Similar to what Job's friends were telling him when he was walking through his trial. But can I submit something to you? In James chapter 1, the Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is good. Do not ever attribute a sickness, a disease, or something horrible happening into your life as coming from God. In that moment, you are working in the enemy's hands. Understand, he wants your worship, the devil. And if he cannot get your worship, what he will do is try to cause you to stop worshiping God. Understand who your God is. He's good. He's good. It will turn out for your deliverance. Whether in this life or in the life to come, to live as Christ and to die as gain, the victory is mine. The moment that I place my faith and my trust in Jesus, I will not be moved. I am staying here. I will not be moved. Mm. Not only that, but apparently Paul's courage and strength while in prison gave boldness to the believers. You know, he had witnessed to all of these people. It's one thing when you open your mouth. And you have a testimony to back it up. See, I'm talking to you guys about something that I didn't read in a book. This was a very challenging year. I lost my father. He went home to be with the Lord back in November. 
But I'm thankful because growing up, I didn't have a father in my life. And he wasn't there. But when I gave my life to Christ, I made a decision to make amends with him. And thank God, when I gave my life to Christ, I ministered to him. He gave his heart to the Lord. And our relationship was mended before he left this earth. But nonetheless, it was difficult. There are memories that still come. I think about so many of you in this room that have lost loved ones, even recently as this week. And may I encourage you, if they died in Christ, that you will see them again. That you will see them again and you will notice them. You will notice them. You will see them again. Death is not the end. With every trial we face, we are immediately put under a microscope to see how we respond. And all of us better know the devil is watching too. But make a decision. He's not going to take my worship. I'm going to make it a point to praise God. I'm going to make it a point like Paul and Silas were in when, when they were in that jail to praise God even into the midnight because I know that my deliverance is coming. Let me close as I bring this in. Point number two. In life or death, the prayers of other believers matter. Did you hear what I said? In life or death, the prayers of other believers matter. Do you think that you came to Jesus on your own? Somebody was praying for you. Could have been your mother. Could have been your grandmother. Could have been a friend. Could have been a coworker. Somebody was praying for you. I know even as I stand here today and minister to you with the grace that God has given me, somebody's been praying for me. This is why I find it a point to honor my pastors. Because Judy and I know that we wouldn't be standing here in this place without the support and love of our pastors and them praying for us. But not only do they pray for us, they pray for you. And we pray for you. You know, the Bible says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Isn't it nice to know that you have a friend in Jesus who also prays for you? Did you know that he intercedes for us on a daily basis, that he is praying for us in accordance with the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25? He lives to make intercession for us. But there are some wonderful examples that I think about in the Bible where you had people interceding for others, intercessory prayer. This took my understanding to intercessory prayer because Paul says in verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer. Because you are praying for me, I know that this will work out for my good. Why is it, saints of God, that prayer is the last resort? Why is it that we just kind of shrug off prayer as if it's not something that's important? But when we pray, when we intercede for our brothers and sisters, God can move. You guys remember the centurion man in Matthew chapter 8. His servant was ill and he came and sought Jesus and said, Lord, will you heal my servant? And Jesus was about to come and he had a revelation. He said, Lord, you don't even need to come. 
I am a man in authority and I tell this one go and he goes. I tell this one come and he comes. He understood submission to authority. He said, Lord, all that you have to do is just send the word and I know that my servant will be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus sent the word and that man's servant was healed when he got home. But thank God for the Roman centurion that was willing to go the distance to pray for his friend. You guys remember Moses? You guys remember when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage? Chapter 32, what happens? Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days to receive the commandments. He also receives the blueprint for what the tabernacle will be on the earth. And he's in God's presence. And God speaks, Ilder, and says this. Moses, you need to get down from here. The people have built a golden calf and they are literally worshiping the calf. And guess what God said? Why don't we just take them out and make of you a great nation? Now watch this. Moses said, Lord, what will the other nations say about you? If you bring out these people only to destroy them. And the Bible says that God relented from what he was going to do. Now, hold on. I know you're thinking you're inquisitive here. Was God really going to destroy the people? I don't think so. He was wanting to draw something out of Moses that was there the entire time. And guess what it was? The spirit of intercessory prayer. He was wanting Moses to operate in this role of being a go-between, a intercessor on behalf of the Israelites. See, you got to understand something, mother out there. When you pray, when you intercede on behalf of your children, God is working. God is moving. You got to understand that my mom all the time, I never knew this until I was older, but she used to take uh, things that the Lord would speak to her little Bible verses and she would tuck them away in her Bible, believing for God to do something in my life. And look at me now. It is because she was praying and she was believing. Even for that coworker that you've been working on for years, God's able to save them. Even your spouse. Instead of talking, why don't you go before the Lord in prayer? Lord, search my heart. What is it that I need to change? What is it that needs to be renewed on the inside of me? I keep looking at what's wrong with them, but what's wrong with me? We got to get to that place where we see prayer as essential. That when we pray on someone else's behalf, that God can move in their lives. Let's be honest in here. How many of you have had times in your life where you were weak? Sometimes when you didn't know what to pray for, but isn't it reassuring to have somebody praying for you? And guess what? They may not even have to tell you that they're praying for you, but you feel your help coming. You ever been in that place before where you thought you were going to give up? You thought you were going to throw in the towel. And then all of a sudden there was this wave of encouragement that just came over you. Where did that come from? The saints were praying for you. This man, this rocked me to the core this past Wednesday in Wilkin. We have intercessory prayer on Wednesdays at 530. When I got this revelation, I started praying for people even harder. God, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that they will have that child, that they will be healed. I thank you for what you've already done. I thank you for that marriage, that it will be restored. My prayer took a whole nother level when I understood the power that is at our disposal. Are you guys with me? Intercede for other people. James chapter 5 says, Is anyone sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church, 
anointing them with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. How many of you know that God still heals? That God still sets free? He's able. He's able. Stand with me here in this place. Have you made a decision, saints of God, where you will confess in the enemy's face to live as Christ and to die as gain? In life or death, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Will you make these declarations with me? Repeat after me. Say, I, I declare in life or death, I will testify of your goodness. I declare in life or death, I will glorify you in my body. I declare in life or death, I will trust you, Lord. I declare in life or death, my God will deliver me. I declare in life or death, I receive your joy. I declare in life or death, you have the final say. I declare in life or death, my children will be blessed. I declare in life or death, Jesus is the key. I declare to live as Christ and to die is gain. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer, saints of God. Joey preached on this last week. Do you have an awe of Jesus? Do you have a passion and a zeal for the Lord? Are you impressed by him? He's awesome. He is our strong tower. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He conquered death. He overcame anything that we could ever go through. He was tempted in all points, just like we are, but yet he never sinned. Jesus is the answer.